You're listening to Oblivion. It is August 21st, 2023, and apologies to the listener. There may be buzzing in the background, and that would be, um, that would be, um, my air conditioner trying to keep up with the hot temperatures outside. I don't know about you, Dave. It's probably hot there in West Kentucky. It's nearly always hotter there. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, heat index uh, between 110 and 115 for the entire week. Yeah, just a usual summer day. And it makes me think about the big um, rivalry football game. The uh, high school rivalry between Murray and Callaway, that's to be played on Friday. And according to the forecast, like game time, it probably will be a heat index between 110 and 115. I bring this up partially because um, you have made an issue, I think, wisely about... uh, just getting rid of uh, football and and i like the idea because yeah even though it is um controversial i think most americans would see it as extreme and un-american and how could you take this away from me um but that's one of the best reasons to embrace and consider an idea right that if you're so instinctively clinging to the opposite maybe that's what you should be looking at right like why would i lose my mind or feel like i don't exist if there wasn't any more football Um, so that's that's one reason another reason is in 2007 um when i uh, took the job uh, in in Louisville, the, the teaching job uh, that I had in Louisville. Within the first week, a high school football player at Pleasure Ridge Park died, right, from heat exhaustion during a football practice, one of these searing hot August football practices. And um, of course, the coach was on public, uh, was on a local news, which for Louisville local news, this is a pretty big area, right? And um, he did a whole praying on the uh, the steps of the church that uh, he wouldn't basically uh, get charged with uh, murder or negligent homicide, right? But something right. that would have yeah. been extremely serious wound up not happening one of the prominent um, local doctors from an apparently uh, influential uh, family a doctor smock (laughs) publicly said that he believed that the death of this football player was a tragic accident and that basically was the end of it right so you have this aristocracy and then something bad happens that can't be ignored and it's in the news it's football right it's a young person dying so you can't completely 
pretend it didn't happen. So you just pull in this uh, wealthy, influential uh, Dr. Smock, and they he says it's it was an accident. And that um, you could really question that because one of the details, and Dave, I think you'll be interested uh, to hear this, and I want to know what you think. Right. The, so the Pleasure Ridge football coach on the day that this player died, what was going on was everyone was going to run and keep running until somebody um, had to stop and that person would be off the team. <laughs> so, okay, man. Yeah. That's just a uh, normal behavior yeah right right exactly <laughs> that's the perfect way to to put it because if it's then then we have to look at the circumstances under which it happened as being normal behavior on the part of the accused right of course this gets into the question of football culture and especially uh, Kentucky culture, right? The uh, I need a victim. I'm a fighter. I'm tough. You're going to have to earn it. You know, nothing is free. Um, that that's what you should expect as a football player, as a parent of a of a young man that's going to be going out for the football team. But I think that that's a incredibly weak argument because when you're looking at it from a legal standpoint, right, you can't just only look at it in terms of the football culture, right? I mean, this is someone that is accountable to the law, just like um, everybody is, right? This is, you weren't just acting as a football coach. You were acting as a human being, as a person. Right. You were also acting legally in loco parentis, right, in place of the parents. <laughs> and so he's just being a strict father figure, David. Right. Once, <laughs> well, so I don't see any problem like with this. This, you know, I mean, how else are you going to uh, find out who the weakest link is? You know, you drive exactly. them until they drop. I mean, right. Exactly. You right. do get so this, you do get data. Who is the weakest child? Basically, yeah. Right. And so this is where I would say that even when you look at it that way, even if you look at it in terms of the football culture, the coach is still so obviously guilty because it would have been one thing if they were doing something like just running some drills or they were running a scrimmage, right, where everybody gets out there and this, they, they snap the ball and then he kills over and dies, right? But this was something that was just um, designed, right, to get people to to run until they couldn't run anymore, right? And and, and I'm assuming also with the full football um, well, fed on helmets. Yeah. I think that 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 by uh, at this point it had gotten to where uh, these hardcore hot practices, you didn't have to be in, in the full gear. Oh. Although as the season is, is a, gets close, you have to start 
putting the pads on because right. you're going to have those on during the game. Right. Um, but in in any case, it was just so uh, sadistic. Yeah. What time? What time of day was it that they did this? Well, this is after, this is being the afternoon. Oh my god! So and, you couldn't. <laughs> Get right. any and everybody worse. Everybody knew that it was going to be hot. I mean, yeah. weather forecasting has made some mind-boggling advancement yeah. in the last. I mean, what a sadist, man! Sadist, exactly. Labor camp, right? Yeah. This is hardcore labor <laughs> camp stuff. This doesn't have anything to do with playing football. Like, right. yeah. how good you're going to be as a football team <laughs> is not going to be determined <laughs> by the fact that you're going to literally run your team to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, nationally, current day, just this past weekend, NFL preseason, big story, getting a lot of attention, players being carted off on stretchers, right? right. No no longer just like, well, I'm going to need to take a breather. I had the wind knocked out of me. Um, let's spray the, you know, my ankle or, or my knee. Um, but like, these are some serious injuries when they have to cart you off the field. Right. And then, um, and so that also reinforces the point, Dave, that you've been making about why not just get rid of the sport that, that, that we should do it, that this isn't normal, that we do understand what it means that a sport involves physicality, that it does involve contact right. and that injury is a possibility but it's gone from that to making it injury is not only an inevitability it's the whole point right yeah. it's the the design the objective is mutilation right destroy the body and so um here i i feel if you'll just indulge me um to just go right into the uh uh, PBS glorification of the Ukrainian <laughs> amputees, and I know I'm I'm laughing, and maybe that that that's horrible, but it really is like that's horrible. Uh, enjoy dark humor. Um, the way that they represented the story, and I'll add in the background to it as I as I explain what was going on. But there's this. Uh, Finally, they're talking about the toll that the Ukraine-Russian war is taking on uh, people, right? And uh, as though it's only now that that a toll is being taken, because the numbers, I think, totally between both sides are about at half a million now. So after all the deaths during the coronavirus, you know, Americans just need more, like, where are those dead bodies? Where are those victims? Um, but anyway, so it, 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 uh, among the, the injured, uh, a lot of people are uh, amputees, right? And so instead of the angle, which is a completely inadequate word to use to describe the way that you look at it, like you want to have the most accurate, honest, uh, like, you know, what is the obvious thing going on here? That should be the way that this story is looked at, right? So instead of the story being, how is this war worth it, right? Look at how horrible this is. Why are people doing this to themselves, right? How can we claim to live in a moral, civilized world when no one is stepping in, no institution, no law system, 
or political governmental system, anything is stepping in and saying, this has to stop, right? We, th- this doesn't happen at all. Instead, it, it's, a, it's a great thing because there are these organizations that are getting prosthetics for these amputees. Right. So if you can see where I'm going with this, that how can you depict this as something that's good? It's just sickening. Right. You see like a normal human leg and then you see this metal rod (laughs) and you're supposed to think this is great. This is just another example of resourcefulness and persevering. And and we're going to do it and uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to make it. You know, Mary Tyler Moore and um, I gave my left leg for the cause. And I mean, you've you've heard me uh, say it before, but I mean, if, if I lose one leg, it's worth it to see you lose both. Or I, I think we up, upgraded that to say if I lose both legs, it's worth it to see you lose one. <laughs> and that's the that's the mentality. And, and this this makes me think of National Pentagon Radio. Right, that we've been uh, conditioned to just accept mindlessly that PBS and NPR and public television are elevated above something like Fox News. Right, that's right, the right. liberal bias of mm-hmm. the way to look at the media. Mm-hmm. But this is straight up right wing uh, perspective oh, yeah. on war. You, you're talking about all this destruction 500,000 dead and you have all of these people who have lost arms and legs and you're not saying that this is bad you're not saying that it's just then look at what these people are doing and they've made all this money and they're raising money and they're helping people like how the fuck are you helping people when you're blowing their arms and legs off (laughs) Well, and uh, I, I'm not sure if they were um, balanced and had um, uh, people in the Donbass and other Russian-speaking regions uh, that are at play here, uh, which were 100%, or, or not 100%, but a large part of the destruction of their towns was from the Ukrainian military uh, in, a, you know, in a rather vicious uh fashion so there's plenty of civilian victims that are also amputees uh, did the pbs have them on there and have their opinion of the ukrainian army <laughs> blowing up their fucking town and then blowing their leg off you know um i'm kind of doubting they had one of those people on this piece right uh you you would be uh, you'd be correct <laughs> yeah and and uh, it's it's one of these things where if you uh <clears throat> If you make an observation like the one that I, I'm making, uh, you're, of course, going to incur scorn, right? Because how dare I, you know, I'm making fun of these amputees and, and, I'm, and I'm not acknowledging what a great thing it is that these particular individuals and organizations are doing to get these people prosthetic limbs, which, yes, sure, if we're going to live in a world where we can't just have our body intact as we were born with it. (laughs) 
I guess it's better to have these prosthetics, right? However, I would have to add that the best option of all would be that for people in the first place not to lose their arms and legs and that it would be much more fruitful for people to think about how to take it seriously, not to fight these wars and not to do this to one another, right? So I can draw the parallel between the war and the football, where in football culture, we accept that you're going to have to be tough and it will be difficult and you will be pushed to your limits. And it's going to be really hot out there. We have to get ready. You must be brave. You must be ready to confront the other team and to push them around. They're going to push you around. And then in, in the war, I said, well, this is a war. And so there are two sides and Russia's wrong because they invaded Ukraine. Ukraine has the right to fight back. So in a war, yes, I mean, people are going to get killed. I mean, we've been conditioned to believe that our generation, going back to the Persian Gulf War, where the collateral damage terms was thrown out and just this acceptance of uh, mass death. But the the Persian Gulf War... Oopsie-daisy! Compared to... Uh, right, I think of the you know, Obamacon uh, air-conditioned office button-pushing drone strike wedding party-killing <laughs> foreign policy. <laughs> can you get all of that together and hyphenate it and that can be the title for this... <laughs> episode yeah sure make a note of that that'll be <laughs> awesome i know that's just more words than we usually do but that, that'd be a good one okay I maybe be maybe maybe, maybe i can make a cool uh acronym acronym out of it all uh, cabal something like that anyway uh yeah so um yeah it, it, we it just continues. accept this this mass killing right yeah yeah and that is and we don't look at that as the problem you know we only look at the um, the the ruin left as as the problem without even considering that we shouldn't um, do do this in the first place. And so, if you ask me, and um, I'll leave the the football uh, out of it because it still isn't nearly as bad as war. And and this is really, I think, something that that we've got to focus on is that this war is wrong. The Biden administration is wrong. Talk about being a sadist. I mean, it's obvious that this guy, Biden, just craves this, you know, churning of, of bloodshed. And that he's using as the older man, the, the younger man who I think is overzealous and uh, caught up in something that is uh, bigger and more twisted uh, than than he realizes, right? I don't think that Zelensky is all that introspective or <laughs> savvy. I mean, he seems to have a pretty simplistic um, view of what is going on, right? Uh, for example... He's he made he's made a uh, just this past week uh, a, a very uh, dangerous and classic fascist statement about war. Right. Which is that it's all about you're either afraid or you're brave. Right. It's you're if it, it, fear is bad, you don't want to be uh, afraid. So you have to be brave. 
And those are your only uh, two options. And here is where, um, and this makes me think of West Virginia cutting these uh, liberal arts programs. And I think I actually said a couple of years ago that this was going to happen, that they were going to start consolidating or merging liberal arts departments, which basically is a de facto elimination of them. <laughs> right. Like you're just, they're just going to finally completely get rid of this stuff instead of it being uh, essentially uh, irrelevant and totally underfunded, but it still actually gets to be there. Uh, but I think of Aristotle and the Neomachean ethics, right? And that virtue is the golden mean between the excess and the deficit, right? And if you're, if, if you never have any philosophy, right, you'll actually never even be able to consider like, other ways of thinking so that you can actually think about what this other person has told you uh, instead of being limited to agree, disagree, right? And if you disagree, then you are bad. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to this dumbed down um, either or only two choices, you're afraid or you're, you're brave, Aristotle uh, uses the example of courage, right? Courage is a virtue. And it's the golden mean in between the deficit of courage, which Zelensky does talk about, right? And this is fear, right? Or what Aristotle calls cowardice, right? Lack of courage. But it's also the golden mean between the excess, which is being foolhardy, foolhardiness, right? being a fool. And so uh, Zelensky, right, and, and the fascist mind intentionally blocks out the foolhardy acts, uh, the, the foolhardy aspect of this question of confronting something that is dangerous, right, and that represents harm and possibly even uh, extreme harm or death, right? And this is the whole value of philosophy is that these are difficult things to think about. And you see the, the complete loss of this kind of understanding, certainly in, in America, right? That uh, however, whatever the issue is, the only way to look at it is in this simplistic way. Voting, you've made a good point about this, Dave, with your term sham democracy, right? It's always this simple, the, the other person is worse, right? Team blue, that's what they say, right? It's never been more in play than today where there's all this focus on Trump. So you can't get two sentences out about how bad Biden is before the Democrat will just say Trump and then they shut their brain off because Trump is worse. It's going to be one or the other. And that's it. Right. That anything else, there's anything else to think about that actually matters is just totally uh, dismissed. Like it's a, it's a waste of time to think about it beyond that. Um, 
then to bring that example back to the war, right? Putin is bad. Russia's bad. They're wrong. So you should be on team Ukraine, right? right? Same thing. And mm-hmm. just, so you, if you say, yes, but the war is bad, right? And this exotic uh, proverb, two wrongs don't make a right. Oh, wait. I mean, that's something that I think was a common refrain that I remember from childhood, right? Like if other people are doing something wrong, it doesn't give you the right to do something wrong. Um, and not to just on a very like gut level, emotional level to look at this, you know, normal, healthy human leg and then this steel rod next to it and not be sickened by that. And not just have this instinctive response that this is wrong. You don't get that. I mean, there's nothing but there's zilch in America. And again, to to go back to uh, to Trump, like with all of this, the counteroffensive was was a failure, and now they're changing it. They're waiting to get these F-16s. U- Ukraine is Ukraine's waiting to get the F-16s. We're being told that they're getting them from the Netherlands and Denmark, <laughs> right? That's bullshit, right? We send them to Denmark and Netherlands, and then the Netherlands and Denmark send them to Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. The, we're supposed to think, wow, the, this is NATO, the, the mighty uh, uh, Netherlands and Denmark. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. right. you know, these super powerful, <laughs> right? It's not America doing it. Right. And so let's not pretend like what's actually going on. Um, the, the strategy was all wrong. That it wasn't coordinated. Uh, like I said last week, the, you, the Ukrainians were basically trained to root out insurgents in Iraq, <laughs> even though it's that's not the war that they're fighting. They're fighting the Russians who have invaded their country. It's totally different. Um, Ukraine still doesn't have the, the equipment. Uh, all the equipment that they that they need, they've shifted the more to artillery than, I guess, sending their battalions on death marches. But um, the, the question still remains: Will it ever be enough? That whatever Ukraine gets, um, doesn't it seem like the pattern is is in place where? Uh, they're just going to need more. Uh, and the and the reason for uh, believing this is that the, there are these constraints on Ukraine in terms of how they can use the, uh, the weapons such as the F-16s that they're getting from these super military powers, uh, the Netherlands and Denmark. Um, that they uh, that they they can only use them to defend their own territory, right? They can't use the F-16s uh, to go into, say, uh, Western Russia and a- attack them, right? So Ukraine is can only operate on the defensive, and then this gets back to uh, why I think that it's. Um, faulty to make a parallel to world war ii because the only way to win world war ii was that you had to 
push your way into Germany. And you had to go all the way to Berlin, right? And you had to kill uh, Hitler. That was the only way to, uh, to, to win that war. And so if you're going to keep making these parallels to World War II and that, you know, we should be, we've let Russia be the aggressor too much and we need to uh, be, be aggressive ourselves and fight back. But at the same time, you can't go into, into Russia, right? You can only be on the defensive, right? And so right there you see uh, a complete disconnect in the, the strategies and the goals between the two wars, right? That doesn't work. And so that's the reason to think, among others, that it will just be uh, a stalemate in addition to the fact that Russia is a nuclear power and yeah Hitler's well uh, yeah that's the of course the big the thing that ended world war uh to end it was at the end of war two didn't actually end it was uh the the nuke a nuclear age uh, you know and so that's very much in play now of course uh it's not like it was back in the 80s the good old days in the 80s when there were like 20,000 nukes you know, piled up in so-called Western Europe and then so-called Eastern Europe, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a short distance away from each other. Um, there are quite a b bit fewer, but there's still many hundreds that are like that, um, uh, pointing at each other um, to this day. Um, people aren't, you know, you don't see that reiterated or uh, made obvious uh, to anybody on the on the news, the Main you are correct. Lamestream media, um, uh, yeah. So that that's always in the background. You know, uh, sure, you're just catastrophizing if you think that's going to happen. You, you know, those things aren't there to be used. They're just a deterrent. There's no way, a possible way, these uh, weapons could be used. Um, so uh, uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, Right, so um, yeah, let's uh, let's mellow out a little bit and uh, talk about drugs, dude. <laughs> you know, when I'm stoned, I'm so philosophical, man. Um, well, that uh, is another good tie-in because we know that, uh, among other biases against uh, liberal arts education and certainly philosophy. Um, the uh, associating the philosophers and, and thinkers with um, slackers, right? Yeah. And the, the stoner is a slacker. You know, people smoke pot only to just sit around and do nothing and um, mm -hmm. play right. and play video games, eat munchies, right? Um, right, eat their potato chips and this these you know mindless uh, stereotypes, which. Yeah. You're a slacker means you don't work, and that's consistent with the labor camp mindset. Yeah, well, um, there are uh, literal labor, all these prisons that these uh, millions of people are uh, imprisoned in across the country, and the so-called uh, uh, treatment centers, uh, which are everywhere, that's kind of uh, semi-prison Right, or you kind of a halfway housey sort of thing, where you're being, uh, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it is basically that the the minor leagues of prison, and um, 
this is all through prohibition, which uh, this podcast is totally against. Completely. Yeah, so you had to uh, uh, see the dare generation is not okay. Use of pot and hallucinogens are at all time highs among millennials and Gen Xers. Binge drinking too. Okay, so uh, notice how the binge drinking comes last. <laughs> well, yeah, use of marijuana and hallucinogens as well as binge drinking by millennials. Blah blah. You're talking about blah blah. New federally funded survey. Hmm. What is this federal funded survey? <clears throat> so what was the spear of this article here? Was it uh, well, saying, the main thing saying this was a bad thing or? Right. That's, yeah. uh, I think the very end of it, it says, uh, but there is some good news, <laughs> which I, I and I forget what that is, but I think it's uh, the, the good news is, is that. Oh, okay, people, here, I'll give you the good news. Uh <laughs> Use of, use, use of cigarettes, sedatives, and non-medical use of opioids continued on a 10-year decline among all ages. Amphetamine use among 19 to 30 years olds continued on a 10-year decline as well. And rates of daily drinking and binge drinking among young adults continued to decline, following a general downward trend over the past decade. Hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess those are good things. Um, maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind having a f- amphetamine once in a while myself, just as um, at my pleasure, right? And even a sedative, why not? I think. Well, I'm, I mean, uh, if you believe in freedom, right. uh, it should be the uh, individual's choice, yeah. right? To, to yeah. assess the uh, potential mm-hmm. risks and the potential benefit, mm-hmm. and. Um, and and in, a, and in an open and uh, fact-based manner, unlike all this uh, DEA uh, war on drugs thing, which is the exact opposite, you know. Right. Uh, well, the, yeah, there are the two main takeaways uh, is, is one, this, uh, this clear bias that uh, all drug use is bad, in particular the use of uh, hallucinogens and marijuana. And this is such a big assumption that underlies everything else that is said and the way that all of the arguments are made and the inferences are made from the facts that are presented, that it it has to be uh, discussed explicitly. And of course, it never is by either the, the DEA or the media. It's just always assumed this is bad, right? The fuddy-duddy with the media, I think, closet conservative, right? People that benefit socially and uh, financially from presenting themselves as liberals, but they really hold the same conservative views and sympathize with even more extreme conservative uh, views. So they're closet uh, conservatives. But that all of these people basically just insist um, that uh, to use hallucinogens, to use marijuana is bad. Why? I mean, what is the basis uh, for that? I mean, that just sounds like bigotry, that you don't like this 
you don't like these type of people. And so you're going to uh, put them down, right? That's one thing. And then the second thing is this really telling part, thinking about in the middle of the article where it says, uh, in 1979, there was an all-time high use for uh, people using marijuana, which is it was at 36%, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I mean, that is a, a lot. Because I think today that the, number of people regularly using it is I think, between 17% and, and 20%. That should tell you, um, as an aside here, all of this nonsense about, well, if we legalize it, then you know more people will start smoking it, and then everybody will be stoned. What will that be like? But um, that this uh, fact about uh, 1979, 36% of people reported using marijuana, um, shows you that people have always smoked pot. And so it's nonsense to be concerned about all of a sudden they're going to start doing it if you legalize it. And again, I point to the long lines and the millions, the hundreds of millions of dollars made on the very first weekend or the during the first week of when these places uh, op- open up. Um so, but then right after 1979, then we get into the 1980s, right? And the federal war on drugs. And then that drove uh, pot use and uh, hallucinogen use down considerably, right? And who was one of, if not the leader of this harsh drug war? Joe Biden. Say his name. Joe Biden. And so if you're someone our age, right, and uh, you might be a uh, marijuana user, liberals are asking you to vote for someone who terrorized you through your entire young adulthood, (laughs) your whole early adulthood was bent and dominated by this intense i admire i admire how my coach ran me around that track during those office workouts you know i felt stronger after that those times david so that's that's another uh difficult um question that in our across the board dumbed down culture people don't want to really deal with right which is um, how can in the world can you justify voting for Joe Biden based on either his uh, history as a politician? David, you know started. the answer. It's Trump. Right, right. Exactly. Trump. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Trump. Like if, if, Trump. if you, if you Trump. put a pause button on that one word, that the one word vocabulary of the of the super intellectual American liberal. Trump. Trump. Um, Trump. <laughs> Trump. It, it brings you to the question of who you vote for. You know, that there's more to it than just who you're against. You have to think about what you're voting for. And you have to think about the long-term implications of who you vote for 
not just this imaginary hypothetical doomsday dystopian uh, fairy tale world of what will happen if the other person wins. And what's a real joke about going into this next election is we've already lived through a Trump presidency, <laughs> right? Yeah. And besides the fact that you let did the good times this, roll, man. Right. Besides the fact that you did have this um, abrasive, unsavory, um, loudmouth eccentric as as your president, there's just absolutely no difference in how America was um, from up until the pandemic. And then the reason that things were different and so bad when the pandemic happened was because of the pandemic. It wasn't, it wouldn't have made any difference um, it, who the president had been. I mean, in this country, the federal position of, you know, limited government on everything, except, of course, drugs, um, drugs. it would have been um, a, a disaster um, no, no, ma no matter what. Uh, I think I remember doing a uh, a comparison of the, how many number of days it was Trump was in office, how many people died. Look at that same number of days and look at Biden when he came in and it was the number was basically the same. <laughs> right. How many people died? X number of days under Trump, X number of days, same number of days under Biden. The same thing, right? Nothing changed. Nothing basically uh, changes. And this is an interesting point to bring it back to drugs, is that instead of this imaginary world where if Hillary Clinton had been president, the response to the pandemic would have been so much better. Why not look at the uh, at the epidemic that the Democrats actually faced when they were in the White House? Right. So when the Obamacon was president, <laughs> we had an epidemic and it was the opioid epidemic. And there were just scores of people dying. Right. And it was the same kind of distant reaction that it's these other people are supposed to handle this. Right. There's only I'm just the president. You know, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> And uh, really, it was left to the uh, state level and, in some cases, the municipalities as to um, how they were going to deal with it. But there were two surges of, of opioid deaths, um, one in the first term of the Obamacon, and then another one, I think, in, in 2014. And I don't know if you remember any of this, but I remember just on the news that there were just these, you know, overdoses going on like crazy. And, of course, um, this is just another failure, right, to be responsive, to be looking out uh, for people to do anything to uh, help the situation. But it was it was a very poor response to uh, to the actual public health crisis that they did face. And I think that's the only fair 
way to assess performance, right? Look at what actually happened. Look at what these people actually did. The rest of it is speculation, right? And that's going to be driven by bias and self-serving interests. Yeah, the machine. But, but the machine it, is, has been quite similar since basically since Reagan. The 80s. Basically Reagan. You know, the Reagan maybe, revolution. Maybe even uh, there. It's the late Reagan 70s. revolution. It's not the Republican revolution, right? It's the Reagan revolution. It was a collaboration, and Democrats were part of the Reagan revolution, right? And Joe Biden, I think, is the number one. And it makes sense, right? Of, of all these people who've been around forever. Who's always been in the in the middle of it? Who's always been front and center, and who has now capped off his uh, joy ride to the White House, his uh, his political career with uh, making it to, to the White House? Joe Biden, right? If anybody knows how to play the game, uh, it's him. Leader and, of the Reagan Revolution, Joe Biden. Well, he's certainly the leader of, of the drug war. I mean, no one uh, stands out more that, than he does. I mean, I think about Bill Bennett on the Republican side. Um, Nancy Reagan was more the drug warrior. Reagan was all about the, the Cold War insanity and the... Um, deregulating and cutting taxes, right? Increase spending, Mm -hmm. spend more on the military, cut taxes, deregulate everything. Which, which Joe, which Joe, which Joe Biden also um, agreed with. Well, sure. Yes. And uh, Clinton as as president took to the next level, cutting welfare, Right, all on board with that, and so you know, Clinton is the younger, um, more streamlined version of the Reagan Revolution. Put a little panache on it, a little saxophone, panache. Playboy persona. You know, not the old panache. man, but the you know, younger, um, charismatic uh, leader. But policy-wise, basically the same thing. I mean, more people went to prison for simple possession of uh, marijuana under uh, Clinton than any of the presidencies uh, since Reagan, since they got really hardcore on it. And so I think that's something that the listener needs to understand is that while pot has always been illegal since 1937, it really wasn't until the Reagan revolution uh, and uh, Joe Biden in the early 80s that the enforcement became a really big deal. And those are not the same thing. I mean, it's one thing for it to be illegal. It's another thing for it to be this uh, priority one, you know, we are out to get you. And what what I... Well, say, when the, when the C, uh, CIA, DEA... Uh, uh, infiltrated and got, uh, you know, the cartels to uh, free, you know, make free base cocaine and 
uh, cheaply distributed. <laughs> yeah, crack, uh, you know, started off the crack epi- epidemic. Uh, that gave them the perfect excuse to go hardcore on the black George community. George H.W. Black Bush holding up a bag of crack <laughs> on national television. Remember that? This is crack cocaine. Oh, just, oh, just like just like Colin Powell. <laughs> Right, holding up the weapons. The anthra- anthrax is what he was holding. <laughs> They're just as bad. Both of them will kill you. He just, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Colin Powell ushered in by Joe Biden, right? Who was yeah. the head of that committee to, who was going to decide who got to testify in the debate to go to war with Iraq, which, among other people, Hillary Clinton voted for that war. Right. While we're all talking about how bad Putin is, everybody you know, makes mis- da- David. Democrats are. Everybody makes mistakes. Come now. What's the difference, man? <laughs> like Putin has this uh, paranoid vision of of Ukraine, and that they represent some kind of threat to him. So he's got to take a preemptive action. And and invade is exactly the same thing that we did with Iraq, except Iraq doesn't border the United States. Right. <laughs> like, so if anything, that was just even more Putin than Putin. Uh, but, yeah, it's totally the same thing. By the way, that's another perspective that is never mentioned. Right. And that's that's another thing that the philosophical mind understands is that. I can't entertain a perspective without having to side with it or not side with it. The point is, is that it should be available and it should be represented along with all these other viewpoints. And anytime that you're only getting one viewpoint from all of these different sources, for sure, you know, this is wrong and that these people are not trustworthy. Right. And they're all saying the same thing or if they're all saying or if they're all not saying a particular thing right none of these sources right not the super educated nova nature brainy uh pbs None of these people are saying that the war in Ukraine is wrong, that the United States is wrong to to escalate. Uh, By the way, speaking of the nuclear threat, so here's another problem with uh, – here's another serious danger with um, the way that America and the NATO allies are operating in terms of arming Ukraine is what happens and how can there be any guarantee that this won't happen if Ukraine decides that they are going to use these F-16s and enter Russian airspace? What if that happens? And so if you ask me, this is really a... um, an uncomfortable situation, right? Like if my weapons are in play here, wouldn't it make more sense that I'm actually the one using the weapons versus these are our weapons. We're, we're going to 
give them to you, sell them to you, uh, make money off of it. And then we're going to tell you what to do, but we're not actually ultimately going to have control over this because it's your war. And we have to make sure that's clear. This is just you fighting them. Um, I mean, it just, do you, do you see what, what I'm, what I'm getting at? And, yep. Yep. And then uh, yet one, another thing, one, one among many provocations that could, uh, escalate out of control. Right. And look at, look at the totally, uh, schizoid, uh, representation of Putin here, right? On the one hand, Putin is a madman, paranoid, and power-hungry. But on the other hand, there is no chance at all that he would regard the entry of Western F-16 fighter planes into the war as an escalation and as a provocation. And if he wanted to, just to basically lie and say, they entered our airspace. And then what are you going to do? Like, you say, no, we didn't. Look, and he'll say, it doesn't matter. I say you did. So now he, in his mind, can push, the, push the button. Right. Then, then he can escalate. And now what do we do? Right. Because we're fighting a war with one hand tied behind our back. Right. We're trying to fight a war with a, a puppet. Make and make the puppet like there's this real person that's coming at me throwing punches, and I've got this puppet in front of me, and I'm working all these levers trying to block it because I can't just fight back myself. And here's something to consider if all these people are so smart, if they're going to send the F 16s, why didn't they do it with the provision that we'll send you the F 16s, but we're going to be the ones that fly them? And we'll be the ones in command of these specific people flying these planes. You see what I mean? Yeah. Like you're going to send your Dutch and Danish commanders and your uh, top American people, right? We'll control these planes. Like we'll put them in Ukraine and you can use them, but we'll be the ones to fly them. And I, I don't even think this is going to happen. It's just be like, here they are, but don't, don't go here. Just stop here. But that just seems like such a total bullshit way to fight a war. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you can't really go all out and fight Russia and go into Russia and kill Putin the way that we did uh, Hitler. And again, it's these advocates of this war that are making the parallel to World War II. It's not me. I'm the one pointing out why it's... uh, useless and uh, erroneous to make these parallels. Um, but if you if you can't actually do that, then it, isn't it an automatic uh, stalemate at, at best? Like there's no way you can win. And so since that is the case, wouldn't a ceasefire be the only useful course of action? Unless you are a necrophiliac, <laughs> right? Unless, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? Un- unless you come from a culture that privately uh, craves mutilated bodies, bodies in pain. I mean, I'm basically talking about S and M taken to another level. 
you know, radicalized. Right. It's a horror film. But in other, but but it, but that is, um, I mean, that's a that's a dark and twisted version of of basically collateral damage, right? And looking at things um, in that way. <clears throat> well, you de you dehumanize it, so it's not uh, you're you're not right. looking at a human being in that case. Um, that's excellent point good term there the dehumanization <clears throat> you don't because only celebrities are human beings yeah because it isn't necrophilia when you're like having sex with a corpse is that what that is? yes okay <laughs> sexual arousal of dead bodies and i say by extension you know bodies on their way to being dead right mm. like i'm not dead but my arm and leg are dead well there's there's they the problem is that you're you don't see many dead bodies at all with the conflict, right? You, you'll see the occasional thing with the uh, the brave amputee, right? But you're not seeing like a uh, body parts, people blown up. Just like up. we don't see the coffins coming home, like we did yeah. during the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. Um, and I have to say, of all the things that are really appalling about the amputee coverage, none of these prosthetics are Barbie pink. They're all the same bland, unesthetic, mm -hmm. gray, silver gray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so robotic and male yes. of them, I guess. <laughs> Ken, that's Every, how, how Ken of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that uh, the Ken Barbie nexus is the new philosophy of our age. For my colleague and co-host, David Vernon Miller, you've been listening to the corporally intact Dr. David Overby, and this has been the Oblivion Podcast.